All right, we're going to continue on uh, with the conversation we were having earlier today about uh, the situation with China and their involvement with our last federal election in 2021. And um, we're going to have a conversation with that about Marcus Kolga. A couple of conversations. We'll start with uh, Russia, Ukraine. We speak with him about this. He's sort of a guy that we can uh, get the latest on that for. So, Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, Shane. Yeah, I got a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about the situation with Russia now that we're coming up to almost one year on this. Uh, we're not hearing as much about it, but there's still a lot going on there, right? In fact, uh, it seems like Russia is, in fact, uh, stepping up their efforts and their attacks this week, correct? Yeah, no, it looks like they're uh, they're really um, building up their, their forces on the on the border again. Um, in certain cities, there's a, there's a town called Bakhmut, which they've been trying to take for a number of weeks. Um, you know, the descriptions that we're getting of that battle from Ukrainian forces is sort of like a zombie apocalypse almost, right. where there are just waves and waves of Russian troops that are coming 24-7 across the front lines. These are the, um, the ex-convicts that have been uh, conscripted into the, to the army, and they're just, you know, the Russians are just pushing these, these guys, uh, like I said, wave after wave uh, to attack the Ukrainian side. The Ukrainians are are effectively holding the city right now, despite the, these waves of, of Russian troops coming in. So, you know, Russia is um, picking up their their efforts. Um, there was another attack uh, in sort of the south uh, southeast of the country in a in a town called Ruladar. Um, a lot of analysts are suggesting that this is the start. This was the start of the Russian spring offensive that everyone has sort of been waiting for. This massive push again to uh, to take ukrainian territory um uh, the good thing the good news there is that the an entire regiment there's about a thousand uh, or more troops in this russian regiment were were defeated by the ukrainians um it was a complete failure so uh you know ukraine's forces are holding up there are concerns about uh, running out of, out of ammunition but um you know they're they're they're, they're defending their positions uh, and that gives us hope, certainly for the spring, when new Western weapons will be arriving, and uh, and uh, which will help uh, Ukraine continue to defend and perhaps go on the counteroffensive as well against this uh, Russian invasion. Today, we've got military leaders and politicians from all around the world uh, meeting, just like they did last year, a couple of days before the conflict broke out. What's the expectation there? Any idea? Uh, well, they'll certainly be discussing, um, you know, sending uh, more weapons to, to Ukraine. You know, the, the hottest topic right now is, is fighter jets. Um, you know, unfortunately, the Western world has continued uh, to stumble and hesitate on sending those really critical weapons to Ukraine. You know, you'll recall a year ago, the, the talk was about shoulder-fired anti-tank missiles. We hesitated on that. Then we gave in. You know, then uh, we were talking about artillery. And then we got to tanks. Uh, now we're talking about jet fighters. So the, I think the Ukrainians and I think many others in the Western world are sort of hoping that those Western leaders come to a decision and, and we do send those uh, those critically needed uh, jets to, to Ukraine to help them uh, defend themselves, because that really, I think, will tip the scales in this conflict. Um, and let's be honest. I mean, the only way we're going to stop this, it's not going to happen through... Uh, any diplomatic negotiations at this point. It's going to happen when we stop Vladimir Putin, push him, and the Ukrainians push him back beyond the uh, borders that were violated last year, and even those borders that were violated back in 2014. That's the only thing that will stop this conflict, and we need to make that decision right now to send them the weapons to help them do that. We're chatting with Marcus Kolga about a couple of very important stories. We, we dealt with Russia, Ukraine. Now, Marcus, you and I before 
have talked about China and and their their work in meddling with disinformation and all the rest into Canadian elections. I'm sure you've seen the report today that came out uh, in the Globe and Mail. What's your reaction to their really in-depth and orchestrated involvement in our last federal election? Well, look, uh, you and I have talked about this before, and I think we talked about this during that election. We did. When um, DisinfoWatch, my organization, McDonald Laurie Institute, were the were the um, first organizations in Canada to bring up the fact that this uh, campaign was happening during um, that election. Um, and this report really, I mean, it just underscores what we sort of already knew to a certain degree, but the fact that, um, you know, these thesis documents have laid bare the fact that uh, our democracy is uh, being interfered with actively uh, by, by uh, foreign actors, uh, China in this case, and that it is under attack. Um, you know, we've talked about this repeatedly. The National uh, Intelligence and Security Committee of Parliament has warned us already for the past three years mm-hmm. that uh, foreign actors are going to try to interfere with our democracy. This, like I said, lays it out very clearly how this happened in the last uh, federal election. Um, and I'm not sure what more evidence is needed by this government to start taking this threat seriously and, and addressing it to protect uh, our democracy um, and vulnerable communities who are affected by um, foreign interference. And in this case, you know, with the Chinese government, uh, our Asian communities who are, whose rights, their freedom of expression is being threatened um, by this PRC uh, interference, according to this uh, report. So we got to start taking this seriously. We got to uh, push back against it and uh, make sure that these authoritarian governments aren't allowed um, to undermine our democracy. I agree with you completely. I wonder, in terms of pushing back, like, I mean, uh, can we look at the into prosecution? Can we identify? I mean, what what does pushing back look like, Marcus? I mean, they're good at this. They've spent a lot of time developing yep. this game. They know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a long time. What does pushback look like? And Shay, we've been allowing them to get away have, with it cost-free for not just a couple of years, but the better part of the last decade. Um, so the first thing that we need to do, and we need to do this immediately, is to um, look at our allies like the U.S., like Australia, who have adopted a foreign influence registry. This requires anyone here in Canada who is getting, who is being supported by whether it's, uh, you know, the Iranian government, the Russian government, the Chinese government, these authoritarian regimes who are, we know are actively trying to undermine our democracy. Anyone receiving funding from them, anyone advocating to advance their interests, um, such a registry would, uh, would uh, require them to um, add their names to this list so that our elected officials to start off with understand exactly who they're dealing with uh, when they come knocking. Um, we will know who these organizations are that are getting funding from um, these uh, these foreign governments. Um, media, when individuals and organizations approach them, they will have a resource then to check up on on who who is actually funding them. So this is the first thing that, uh, that we need to start doing. And you mentioned uh, the RCMP. Absolutely, the RCMP at this point, I think needs to get involved. When we have the consul, the Chinese consul general in Vancouver, this is the top yeah. Chinese diplomat in Vancouver, boasting about defeating two candidates, a conservative candidate in the previous election. We've got a real problem here. These, the Chinese government is clearly admitting to interfering in that election. So I think that the RCMP at this point very much needs to get involved. 
They need to look into these 11 candidates who have uh, reportedly received uh, direct financing from the, the Chinese government. We need to investigate them. And I think Canadians need to know who those candidates are. And if any of those candidates have won or are sitting in Parliament, they need to resign immediately. Because what's at stake here is our democracy and an erosion of trust in it. So we need to act now. We need to act decisively and make sure that future elections are protected. Do you think we know? Is this a full telling of what's been going on, Marcus? Or is there even more that we still don't know about? Well, look, the fact that CSIS um, and the government allowed this report to be made public uh, through the Globe and Mail is, first of all, that's absolutely remarkable because CSIS doesn't do this. So that, um, I think, underscores... Uh, CSIS's understanding of this threat, the fact that they would let this report get out there, I am very sure that this is just the tip of the iceberg at this point. There is a lot more happening that we don't know about. Um, like I said, we know that there are 11 candidates who receive funding. Yep. We know that uh, senior staffers um, were being supported by the, by the Chinese government. And we're not even talking about Iranian and Russian influence at this point, who are also very actively trying to undermine our democracy. So there's a lot more um, that's going on that we're just not seeing. But I think that this report, thankfully, it has come out, come to light, and hopefully that will uh, motivate the government to start acting. I guess the question, what it comes down to at the end of this, Marcus, is can we have confidence in our elections, especially the last one, knowing what we know? And like you're saying, there's probably more that we don't know. Can we, can we safely assume that our election, you know, was conducted fairly overall or i mean where do we stand in terms of the integrity of our election well look certainly i think that overall um that we can trust in our democratic processes writ large um across the country certainly there are problem points um you know the 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 institutions uh, and the safeguards that we put in place to protect our our democracy and elections uh, from foreign interference are clearly not working very well. There's, of course, the security uh, and intelligence threats to election team that is supposed to monitor these threats and expose them when they're happening. Um, that didn't happen uh, in this last election. I would ask why, and I would say that that institution, anything that we've, all of these um, measures that we've put in, put in place to protect our election need to need to be reviewed um, because clearly they didn't work and again uh, you know i don't i don't mean to boast but the fact that a civil society organization like my own was the only organization to actually bring up these threats mm -hmm. during the election is a problem yeah um and you know the the fact that a, a canadian report is now coming out a year late uh, not a year later a uh, year and a half later um, that's not very helpful um it'll only be helpful if the, if the canadian government learns from this and um, upgrades all of those uh, the safeguards that we we have claimed to have put in place, um, and to make sure that they're working the next time around. Um, you're right. I mean, we. I guess that's the question that a lot of people are asking today. We talked about it. We talked about it on the air. We knew about the 11 MPs and the campaigns that were conducted uh, on their behalf by the Chinese government. Yeah. I guess the question is, how important is it that we find out? Who knew what and when they knew it? Uh, was it prior to the election? Were parliamentary officials briefed? Was the prime minister's office briefed? How important is that? Well, it's absolutely. I mean, it's critically important uh, in if we want to protect future elections. We need to know, you know, where we went wrong the last mm -hmm. time. So, yeah, finding out uh, who decided what, who knew what at what time, um, and certainly exposing those individuals who... 
uh, have been implicated, who are involved uh, in this election interference. That is the most important thing. Yeah. And, and I will say that generally, in general, uh, with regards to foreign interference, exposing the enablers, the proxies, the individuals involved is the best way to defending our democracy. So, um, you know, I think the government uh, thesis, they need to really come clean on, on all of that information, all that information if we want to uh, protect the, our future elections. Expose and prosecute, I would say, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Marcus, thank you so much. Always great insight. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.